0: Everybody and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike. I'm joined, as always, by the master of receipts, NYJ Matt. And today we have a very special guest. You may have heard he has not one, not two. But three Super Bowl rings. He's a former multiple-time Pro Bowler. He uh, was an analyst for Fox, uh, Fox Sports One. He's a radio host for 104.3 The Fan in Denver. The co-owner of Stinking Good Green Chili. He pissed his pants on the internet and he's currently at war with Jets Twitter. It's Mark Solera. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure, man. Good to be on with you guys. I, pre- I Hey, I appreciate you guys having the nutsack to at least invite me on your <laughs> podcast. Most of the... Uh, You know, most of the other uh, "quote unquote" bloggers or Jets podcast guys um, didn't have the balls to do it. So, thank you so much, man. It's always good to be on with you guys, and um, always good to talk football, man. I love it. It is as uh, you know, go back to uh, one of my favorite '80s bands, The Alarm, and uh, one of the lines in one of their songs, "Spirit of '76." It's the lifeblood that courses through my veins. So, I absolutely love football. I absolutely love the NFL. and I'm so thankful. You know, my dad told me when I was a little kid, I was a little boy, find something you'd love to do and you'll never have to go to work in the morning. I am 55 years old. I'm fucking yoked and, uh, <laughs> and I don't do anything but lift weights and talk about football and it's awesome.
0: It's amazing. This, this beer is the, the lifeblood that flows through my, <laughs> my veins. Yeah. I, appre- so,
1: I appreciate that.
2: All right. So Mark, take us through, you go on Pat McAfee, right? Right. I didn't, I saw the clip go around. I didn't really watch it until 24 hours later. What happened on that show, and did you expect the outcome on Jet's Twitter that you got? Because we'll get into it a little bit and then talk football after. But I want to hear your thoughts on how it initially happened?
1: No, it's interesting because I've been, you know, I've been here in Denver. Uh, I ended up finishing my career here in Denver. In my last six years, and um, I'm probably public enemy number one in Colorado when it comes to what I think of the Broncos and to the point where my old teammate, John, Oh, won't talk to me anymore. Um, because I hold them accountable and that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't bother me. Like this is a production business. Um, my coach, when I played for Denver, my coach, Alex Gibbs, who's a, hes one of the greatest coaches in the national football league history. He used to say get good or get gone. Um, and that's, you know, just, it's the way it is. It's, it's the NFL in general. Um, and you have to understand how the game is played, and how the and and, and my perspective on the game. And so I am very much um, not welcomed often at, at in the old facility that you know that I played it um, mm. because I hold them accountable. And so from my perspective, I was having a a conversation, not a Jets conversation, a draft conversation. And because here in Denver, everybody's talking about. Well, let's can Drew Locke and let's go after one of these quarterbacks. And and I'm like, do you guys understand the history of quarterbacks in the draft in this league? Of top ten quarterbacks in the draft. Hell, I know you guys understand. Oh, and sweet. I was just yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just basically I was just basically saying, you know, if you think that you're gonna go up and draft the number two quarterback in Zach Wilson, who happened to be, by the way, watching film. One of my favorite quarterbacks in this draft, I think he's phenomenal. But if you happen to go that direction and you give him the same thing that you've always done, or you don't support a young player like that, you're gonna—I mean—you're gonna repeat the mistakes of the past. And I understand that you have a new head coach, and I understand that you'd have—you a, a, know—a a new or different GM. But if you don't support a young quarterback, a young quarterback is not going to come in and fix your franchise it does not work that way and one of the points i was making is there's probably four quarterbacks in the national football league right now that cover warts every other quarterback exposes warts Mm -hmm. so if you have warts on your team and i'm assuming you're the jets so you have warts on your team if you have warts on your team you're a young quarterback's just going to expose those warts and so to look at that like that's the elixir what i was saying and this is a generality about the national football league and teams that are bad including the team that i used to play for both of the teams that i used to play for if you think that you're going to put a player in a position to fail please don't be surprised when said p- player fails because you put him in that position so if you think you're going to take a young quarterback and he's going to fix a bunch of other warts that you haven't addressed you guys are you're stupid if you think that, and, and so that was the perspective and how we got into this mess with Jets fans. And I basically said for the Jets, if you put Zach Wilson in the same position that you put Sam Darnold in, don't be surprised three years from now when you're back in the top five, looking for another quarterback, because it's a, it's such an incredibly tough position to play. And, um, and obviously you have to be exceptionally well supported as a young guy if you're going to have success in this league.
2: And and the great point is we agree with you on that take. And I think a lot of people on Jets Twitter do. I think some people kind of went in, in the beginning a little overboard, and then you put the video out. The video comes out. You, <laughs> you see my name, by the
0: way, is Sam Darnold on the Zoom. So What's that? You see my name is Sam Darnold on the Zoom. So Mike I, is oh, the oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But we agree with you on the fact that you can't, put, you can't expect Wilson to come in and be a top 12 quarterback in the first two years if you don't surround him with talent, you don't build the offensive line. We get that. The video uh, comes out on Twitter. I don't even watch it for the first couple of hours. And then you start going back and forth with fans. Now, I might have put out like a dozen memes, Mark. I, went, I came at every like, different angle, like making jokes, not personal, but having a lot wow. of fun with it. And I think people took it a little personal. I, in the beginning, I thought you were full troll mode, like just trolling and having fun. Then it uh, seemed that it kind of went off the rails with certain fans, and then it came back to troll. So I didn't really know where you landed at. Did you see any of the memes that we created, and did any of them make you laugh?
1: Oh, I, I'm sure I saw them. I mean, there were so many things coming at me. And <laughs> so I think one of the things you have to understand – um, there is no virgin meat on my ass. It's all been chewed. Like you can't, like there ain't nothing you can say to me. That's going to hurt my feelings, you know? And, and it's funny because um, obviously I was in troll mode, you know? I mean, I'm trying to go after you guys, but you have to understand that I spent my entire, I've spent my entire life in a locker room. Like forget about playing professional football. The guys I play college football with, and I still get together with them every year. We go, to, we go to a Vandal reunion every year, and it is 100% full go on at all times. So you walked in the locker room at the University of Idaho, and you better be, like, your best, the best defense is a good offense. You better be on the attack 24-7. Otherwise, you're going to get eviscerated. So that's the world I grew up in. And then I went from the college game, to the professional game, then you know, and then another you know, six years in Washington, six years in Denver, and it was the same way. We're just, I mean, I gave to me, I'm giving you a taste of what it's like to be in a professional locker room. Then I went into the TV game and the radio game. Well, it, it you know, when I first got into the TV, it wasn't much different than a locker room. Things have cleaned up and and you know, they have they professional up a little bit, but the bottom line, it was always the same way. So for me. It was like, oh, you guys want to, you guys want to go? <laughs> Please, by all means, let's go, let's play. And right. so that's kind of how that's kind of how I took it. So you know, I don't get offended. It's always it's funny to me, like when you know the 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 people that get triggered by a good troll game start talking to me about you know, oh, well, you only went to two Pro Bowls really that's where you're gonna that's how you're gonna get at me right (laughs) so I started for 12 years and I only went to 12 or to two Pro Bowls Mm -hmm. oh by the way during that 12-year career I had 29 surgeries I was always hurt and I still was able to start for 12 years and go to two Pro Bowls like you think oh now I got him he only played in two Pro Bowls you know you're not even a Hall of Famer like I mean it's it to me it's funny and you know and, and some people get after like your kid like well your son sucked as a major leaguer. I hope I pray That's someday good. yeah I hope I pray someday you feel the pride that you feel as a parent when your kid pitches in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. I hope you get that feeling cuz it's the greatest like I I I consider every accomplishment pro bowls, super bowls, world champion whatever, every accomplishment garbage compared to watching my son pitch in the big leagues. Uh, Garbage. ruins
0: my, ruins my hypothetical. I was we, gonna have ask, a, we have a hypothetical right.
2: for you,
1: Mike. Okay.
0: I was going to well, ask go you, would, would you rather uh, uh, Daniel, your son, win game seven of the 2011 World Series, say the Tigers made it that year, or, you know, if not, you lose the 1998 AFC Championship game to the Jets? But I think I know your answer now.
1: Well, I got I, – you know, even if I lost the AFC Championship to the Jets, I still got, got two, two more rings. So, <laughs> so what, <is> it, what <laughs> does more. it matter to me?
2: I I don't I don't agree with the personal attacks but the memes I was making I was going crazy having fun with it of course I was finding the uh the tweets that you had of people telling them you had three super bowl reigns, and that like a go to comeback you got like 40 of them it's a fine comeback I like it I talk about my three rec basketball championships from high school uh-huh sure was, I was there for one of them Mike was there for uh. one of them. But, Mark, yes. the one thing I do want to call out. Uh-huh. Mark's,
0: Mark's getting a call from the, the league office. It, it's yeah. They're, they're rescinding his three schools.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, All right, go ahead. So I, I do – you made a good point. It's a competitive business, right? If you are putting out crap, you're going to get crap back. And I know the uh-huh. Jets are low-hanging fruit. And I do believe there is a, a little bias against the Jets from Blue mark Twitter and the national media. And I know you might not agree with that, and I'll, I'll explain why. When the Jets had the number one overall pick in the draft, people were saying Trevor Lawrence should not go to New York. He should back out. Horrible setting. The Jaguars get the number one overall pick. Everyone's fine with it. Tom Brady, there's a, a stat. 50% of the time he plays in the NFL, he goes to Super Bowl. A better chance of winning than the Jets. It was all over Twitter. That stat yeah, the, applies. Jets,
0: the Jets have less than, you know, they, they have an right. under 50% they winning win percentage in their In their history, Uh,
2: that that stat applies to 14 other teams. Why is the Jets the main team going around? The Jets, of course, lose against the Raiders on the Hail Mary. People make fun of them for it. They go ahead and beat the Rams on the road on a short week, and McVay had ultimate time to prepare. And the Jets get made fun of either way. The the Jaguars, Falcons, Texans, Bengals, Lions, Bills, Browns—all these teams have never won a Super Bowl, and they have a below 500 career record why are the Jets always the one, in your opinion, getting all the shit on Twitter? Because I do think there is a little bit of a bias against the Jets, and that's why when blue checkmark and famous people have some fun of the Jets, the fan base is like, all right, here we go. Now we're going to go back. So I want to hear your take right.
1: on that. Yeah, well, it's because you guys are in New York, and so you have to understand the way the, the way television works. Hey, man, when I, when I worked for ESPN for 16 years, you know the majority of the people who run ESPN are Jets fans, right? You get that. They're Mm -hmm. all New Yorker. They're all New Yorkers, right? So that they're all I mean, I'm talking about front office, but I'm talking about coordinating producers. I'm talking about the heads of television networks. They're Mm -hmm. Jets or Giants fans. And New Yorkers are easy targets because New Yorkers are easy, easily triggered. I mean, like see the difference (laughs) between the difference between Jets fans and why you guys get so much grief is because you guys Respond, Lions fans just go, yeah, we suck. Like I had a I had a line in that in that video about uh, about what we did to the Lions in, and you guys are pretty young, but you remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? I said, you know, I'm, like one of the things I said in that video was, hey man, the sisters were kinder to Andy Dufresne than we were to the Lions that day, and <laughs> I got not one Lion fan. They're like, yeah, you guys, pretty good. You know, <laughs> you, guys, you guys kicked our, right. yeah, you guys got us. Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> I mean, so I mean I, I think that the majority of fans from Jacksonville or from you know or from um, like you said the Lions or whoever had just mm-hmm. given into the fact that their team sucks, right, and so they don't respond, plus New York is so huge, you know the number of people that represent the fans but but as I mentioned, like there's no bias from me or from the media from the standpoint of of we would love we're capitalists like we would love for the a team in new york to be great because it's it's great for ratings Mm -hmm. it's great for ratings so for you know and you know how this you know how the league works man i live here in denver and like i'll just talk about the nba for a second yesterday or yeah was it yesterday steph curry went for 10 three-pointers yeah the, the night before right another be 10 three pointers really. right right <laughs> but but he's had 11 games he's got 78 uh three pointers in 11 games right he's just been on a tear right so i'm doing my radio show in denver nikola jokic has 47 points 15 rebounds eight assists this 50th double double on the season it's not close and ESPN led with a 10-minute highlight in their first hour block, hour and a half block, a 10-minute highlight of Steph Curry. Then they went to the workout by uh, Trey Lance, and then they went to other NFL stuff. And at eight at 8.30, an hour and a half in, they had already repeated the Steph Curry stuff and what he's done and the potential of him – Chasing down, you know, and, and chasing down an MVP, and have not once talked about Nikola Jokic,
0: and that's without Murray
1: and, too, right? And here's and the point. The point really is, is that Nikola Jokic. Nobody at ESPN or at any other network wants Nikola Jokic to win an MVP. They don't want the Nuggets to be in the in. in they don't want the Nuggets like it's a flyover city. They don't care. It doesn't move the needle. So for the Jets fans to go, well, the national media is biased against us. Dude, we would love a Jets run in the national media to greatness. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because it it makes us money. It's like people saying that they don't trust the vaccine because, uh, you know, they don't trust the vaccine. They're not going to take the vaccine. Let me tell you why you should trust the vaccine. Because Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson – Are greedy bastards who are capitalists and they want to make a ton of money that's that's why you should trust it i mean that's the bottom line so in the media we're all capitalists of course we want a new york team of course we'd love the knicks to be great of course we'd love the yankees to be of course because it sells it sells advertising dollars It, it makes money it's the media I mean, we're the the world's biggest, Mm -hmm. greediest capitalists.
2: It does go the other way, though, too, because when the butt fumble happened, and as an offensive lineman, I think you could maybe attest that if it happened to Denver on a Sunday at 1 o'clock, the butt fumble, it doesn't blow up as big. When the Jets are in that time, they're only two years removed from being pretty damn good. It happens to the Jets and to Mark Sanchez, and it was on the worst of the worst every Friday for 52 weeks. It's unbelievable. They did a whole thing. Right. They, they had to take it off because they
0: were they, 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 retired lose, so,
2: they retired it. they
0: retired it. And we
2: think <laughs> it's one of the most overrated plays ever. So sure. what you're saying is because it's New York and because the fans are a little more active and they'll respond, you right. want them to be really good. But when they're bad, which, of course, over the past decade, they've been very, very bad, you have to then do the low-hanging fruit jokes go after them. But then you have to come back as a fan like we do and, and we're just not gonna be like
1: lion fans. We have to, we have to make our friends. <laughs> hey, no, Hey, I'm, I, I'm okay with you guys doing that. I mean, it's all, it's yeah. all good, but mm. again, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of getting after you, of you course. know, I mean, and, and the fact that you guys, and the fact that you guys respond, I mean, I, I, you know, it that makes it fun. That makes it fun for the rest of us. So, um, you know, I think we, I think we love it. And I, and again, I think if you look at the networks and how many people are vested in in the Jets and the kind of there's almost this lovable loser attitude from all the people that are huge Jet fans. You know, here we go again. We're the Jets, and I don't know. It, it is it's it is low hanging fruit. It is easy, uh, but damn, it's fun. You Maybe know, it's, it's, it's a good time.
0: Maybe like you said, it's self inflicted because the, the 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 last point in this is that from 1990. 1990- you could use ninety-seven or ninety-eight. But let's say nineteen ninety-eight to twenty ten. The Jets are one hundred and twenty and one hundred and four. They went to they went to the playoffs seven times. They went to three AFC Championship games. That's a solid stretch. Uh, I think Matt and I were calculating the Jets have like, like the fourth or fifth highest win percentage in the AFC over that span. And then you know, like Matt just said, stuff like the butt fumble happens, and just you know, maybe because we're not the Giants, it's like right back in our face, you know, and it's and it's not. You know, the if the national media wants the Jets to be good and, and and you know profits off of that, makes money off of that. You know, when the Jets do have a good stretch, it, maybe it's maybe it's because of the Jets fans because Jets fans are a little bit self-loathing, but it's a little frustrating. You know, and, and yeah. obviously the last ten years we just are garbage. But
1: well, I, I will say this. You know, and I think this goes back to Robert Sala and and Joe Douglas. And I don't know Joe Douglas, but I know Robert fairly well. And Um, as well as you can know a guy that you've met with nine times and you've had football conversations and more importantly, life conversations, you know, and you get into philosophical um, as as an NFL analyst for Fox, you know, and doing games, you get into these philosophical conversations sometimes where you've done a guy three times, you know, three times in the last nine or 10 weeks and and you kind of know the defense, you know what they've done, you've studied the film. So you just talk about just people in general and who influenced you and how did you get to this point? Let me just tell you, he is one of the great men that I've had the opportunity to just to talk with. And um, you want to talk about a guy who, who really cares and really motivates his guys and really lays it on the line for his guys. His guys play exceptionally hard for him. And so I really appreciate him as a coach that said, let me just tell you, and this goes back to the Jets as an organization, I learned something as an apprentice for a plumber when I was in Alaska that I apply to organizations all the time, okay? So, I, was, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and one summer, you know, I always worked construction, and one summer, I was being on this project, and I went through the entirety of the project, you know, from From excavating the land, building the footings, to pouring the footings, to stock and block, to doing the plumbing, the whole nine yards. So I was kind of an apprentice at every stage of the building of this three-story building. And so I'm helping this plumber out. And this plumber says to me, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about plumbing. So I'm like, all right, here we go. He goes, all right, are you ready? And I said, yeah. He goes, shit flows downhill because that's all you need to know about plumbing. All right. And we were putting in, you know, we're putting the plumbing, the sewage line that goes out to, you know, to the main sewer. And the bottom line with organizations, it's exactly the same. You show me an owner that isn't completely committed not to making a profit, to winning, If you don't have an owner that is into nothing more than winning, you may have a season or two where you're good. You may have an outlier season. But if your owner isn't completely committed to doing whatever it takes to win, you won't be worth a shit because shit flows downhill. And eventually it makes it to lock room. And you know what your players know? This organization ain't about winning. And, And let me just tell you, that's real. There are 10 to 12 organizations in this league that are about winning. Hey, all 32 will take a winning season. And, hey, man, if you happen to be the outlier and win a championship, great. But I am telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here, there are about 10 to 12 teams that actually care about winning. You know what every other team cares about? making their 15 to 20% a year and passing generational after generational after generational wealth to the next generation of their kids, their grandkids who own the organization. And, and, I, and, yeah. and let me tell you, that's a fact, and you cannot dispute it.
2: I, I do agree on, on the, the Johnsons are, are not beloved throughout the Jets fans. But you talk about the players liking the owners – I do find it fascinating that Christopher Johnson, in his tenure with the Jets, horrible record. He was on the field shaking their players' hands after every game winner lost. Jamal Adams, when the whole beef went down, he didn't want to talk to Joe Douglas. He wanted to talk to Christopher Johnson. So I think, from a player standpoint, the Johnsons aren't hated, and maybe they, they like the money. Me and Mike have season tickets, so we are paying more money into their pocket. Mm. But f- from a Johnson standpoint, his biggest flaw is hiring the wrong head coach for me. I don't really care about the money. They got Joe Douglas from Philly. Well-respected move throughout the league. I know Mike has a point here, too. It's probably. two things
0: that relate to Mark. So, so Mark, yeah. you, you obviously were on the Redskins, and the Redskins won the, the championship in, in 1991, and Charlie Cashley was the GM. And the Jets used Charlie Cashley and Ron Wolfe, who was an executive for many years, to help hire Todd Bowles. Uh, back in, in, uh, in 20, after 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, we really didn't like Todd Bowles. And then, you know, also related to you is you obviously, you know, follow the Broncos and all things Denver. Adam Gase is the offensive coordinator for the Peyton Manning years and then becomes our head coach. So the last two head coaches that the Johnsons have hired have been complete disasters. And we, you know, you hear, there's a lot of positivity regarding Todd Bowles nationally with his abilities as a defensive coordinator, but, not so much as a head coach. And then, you know, Adam Gase, you know, was just obviously one of the Abismal. really just horrifying. So what right. what what did you see? I'm curious what you saw from Adam Gase when he was in Denver. I mean, it wasn't just really all Peyton Manning, but I don't know how anyone could hire this guy as a, as a head coach, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think it's really hard. And this this will be interesting to see exactly how Robert Sala transitions as a coordinator when you are completely connected. And we're having just I mean, this is just an NFL discussion and this is 12 years of playing, you know, playing on championship or with championship organizations. This is just what I know actually like works or happens. So one of the things when you are completely when you're a coordinator and you have this unbelievable connection with your team, right? And your players and you're interacting with them on a daily basis and you're coaching them on a daily basis. You're not only the coordinator, but oftentimes you're coaching or you're you're uh, you're, you're like you're the coordinator but you're you, you take a certain position kind of under your wing. Like you're, I'm the offense or defense coordinator, but I'm also coaching the secondary or I'm also, I'm coaching the linebackers as well, right? You have a, a vested interest. Here's what happens to you as a coach, as a coordinator. It's really hard to give up that aspect of coaching, that connectivity you have with the players, because when you become a head coach, your job is to truly coach the coaches, Yes. Oh, interesting. And it's, okay. and it's really difficult. It's really difficult to let go when you are so used to that connection you have with players to let go of that. And so the things that you need to be doing oftentimes don't get done because you're still in that other world. You have one foot in that other world. The great coaches in this league have the ability to delegate, to coach the coaches, and to step back, and look at the game from 32,000 feet. And it's very hard to let that go. It's exceptionally hard to let that go for a lot of coaches. So a Todd Bowles, for instance, who has such a connection with his players, Todd Bowles and I played together with Washington. I've known Todd for, you know, however many years. He was great last year as a coordinator with Tampa. Yeah, he was. So it's, it's an exceptionally hard thing to do to be able to make that transition to let go of that the greatest coaches to me understand and this is hard because especially when you come from one side of the ball or the or the other you know what like you know what you want to do you know what what gave you trouble you know what you like the bottom line is what you have to understand is you have to understand everybody's issues as a coach, not just what my issues are, not just what my defensive line issues are, not just what my linebacker issues are. You've got to st- understand, hey, man, when when the offense gets in this, this gives them trouble. This is the, the issue that my O-line has right now. And you have to coach in such a way that you're not only coaching your coaches to get the best out of your players, but to get the best out of one another. Because you think the players are competitive. You should see the coaches in one-on-one drills. You should see defensive line coaches cheat the snap count to give their defensive linemen an edge. You see defensive line in in team drills, D-line coaches cheat for their defensive linemen to tell them if it's run or pass. You see it all the time. That doesn't help us as a football team. But sometimes, if you're a defensive coach, you want to win those drills in practice. That doesn't truly help you as a football team. And so for a head coach, you've got to be able to coach your coaches, you've got to be able to create an environment where you're saying, we all need to do this, and we all need to make these sacrifices together to make our team great. You have to know all the issues that present themselves to our offensive line, to our running backs, to our receivers, to our quarterback, to our D-line, to our linebackers, and you've got to coach that in its entirety to make sure that you guys are on the same page, and then On top of all that stuff, when it comes to game planning, it's not enough to know how to attack an opponent. You know what you have to do before you can attack an opponent? You have to mitigate your own issues. So as a coach, you have to sit there and say, okay, I want to attack this coverage or I want to attack this individual player. But in doing that, we expose our right tackle. So guess what? We have to shit can it and have to find something else to attack. Most coaches aren't – they're too selfish to do it. They don't understand everybody's issues and how to mitigate everybody's issues. And and those are the things that, to me, make a difference. Going back to your Woody Johnson, I don't give a shit if guys like it. Mm -hmm. I don't care because let me tell you what. If they feel in a locker room – and here's the thing. Players have the greatest BS meter in the world. (laughs) The world's greatest BS meter. If you lack authenticity, which Robert Sala lacks zero authenticity, but if you lack authenticity, we as players will smell it out in two seconds and then you're in trouble. And so I don't care if they like him. If they feel as though whatever the reason is that that particular owner isn't about 100% about winning, they will smell that out in an instant, whether he's shaking hands or not. As a matter of fact, it makes it worse when you're out there shaking hands and kissing babies if you're not really worried about winning. And so what authenticity becomes one of the biggest issues in the world. I've talked to coaches and coaches that, that get these opportunities, man. That's the number one. I don't care what you are. Like, why do you think Bill Belichick disciples all fail for the most part? Because they They think they're little Belichick Jr., right?
0: They don't don't cut the sleeves off their sweatshirts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or they do, and everybody looks at them and rolls their eyes and goes, oh, (laughs) here we go, this guy. Yes. So, So,
2: anyhow. Mark, we we went through the the Jets Twitter beef. We went through some football talk and some Jets talk. Me and Mike like to have fun here. We throw out ridiculous hypotheticals. So, we're going to do rapid fire for you, I'm sure. Your time's coming to an end soon. But quick off the bat. The 53-man roster of the 98 Broncos are in a brawl with 250 Jets fans, average guys like us on Twitter. Who wins that brawl, 53-man roster or 250 Jets Twitter fans?
1: Uh, 53-man roster.
2: Is it going to be close?
1: <laughs> no, it's not going to be You're going to punch one guy, and of those 250, 100 of them flee. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> A <laughs> hundred like flee. So <laughs> with run Romanowski <laughs> on the '98
2: team, yeah. So yeah, who, oh, yeah. Who, who, are we most Ro- afraid of?
1: Romanowski is going to break a few jaws. I don't want to fight Steve you're gonna have Atwater. Have, Holy right, shit! You're gonna have, <laughs> yeah, Steve. Yeah, he has no like Steve Atwater finishes. He finished his career with the Jets, but yes. uh, yeah, Steve Atwater has a blatant disregard for his own well-being. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he just he doesn't care. I think so, I could take
0: yeah. Ed, I think I could fight Ed McCaffrey.
1: Now Ed McCaffrey's Have you have you seen Ed McCaffrey? Killed us.
0: Well, he dude, killed us in '98. In That's it. The fucking. Yeah. I had
1: I had dinner with him. I had dinner with Eddie. Uh, this this last year sometime, probably right before we went into COVID protocol. Eddie's every bit at 6'5", six five two fifty five right now and fit. Yeah, like Ed is a good. Ed is a huge Ed is a huge man. Um, um,
0: I'll take it back. I'll take it back right <laughs> <yeah>. now. <laughs> <laughs> case Ed McCaffrey is listening to, our- yeah right. Yeah. Ed, you know Eddie's
1: a, Eddie's a big dude. Eddie's a yeah. He's actually coaching football right now up at Northern Colorado. He's the head coach in Northern Colorado. Uh, anyhow,
0: how about this? The either the 1997 or 98 Broncos versus maybe the most underrated team of all time, the 1991 Redskins. In in one game,
1: one oh I, I the 91 Redskins. Yeah, wow. I mean. You gotta, you gotta understand. Ninety-one Redskins had so, so we went through that season, and we ran. I mean, we ran the ball on everybody. We threw it out of three wides. You know, in nineteen games, including uh, you know, three playoff games. You uh, killed everyone in the playoffs, yeah. Right, but in in nineteen games, we gave up nine sacks, nine total sacks in nineteen games, and three of them. Three of the nine were against the Eagles in week 17 when we didn't start our starters.
0: Well, who was on that line? Jim Lachey. Jimmy Lachey. You.
1: Jimmy Lachey. It was Raleigh McKenzie. Jeff Bostic was our center. I was our right guard. And Joe Jacoby was our right tackle.
0: And you had Ernest Beiner. It's a cool team. That's Ernest a,
1: Beiner. We Art had, Monk, we former had Jet. Art, yes, Art Monk was on that <laughs> team. Ricky Sanders. Uh, yeah. Ricky Sanders. Gary Clark. Uh, Donnie Warren, who ended up playing – Donnie Warren was maybe – he probably had about 30 catches his whole career, 15 years. Uh, he's probably the greatest blocking tight end. He and and uh, Ronnie Middleton, unbelievable blocking tight ends that we had that were like offensive tackles. Uh, they were phenomenal players, phenomenal football players.
0: Very cool team. Daryl Green, Hall of Famer, obviously. Okay, I like yeah. it.
2: Yeah, right, Mark, I'm a yeah. running back. I'm five foot nine, one sixty-five. Uh-huh. I'm the running back. You're my lead offensive lineman. You're running downhill. Bart Scott's coming at you. Do I get a first down? First and ten. You're blocking Bart Scott one on one. I'm behind you.
1: Uh and what's what what were we like what's the down and distance? I missed that.
2: First and ten. Literally everyone was is blocked. You versus Bart Scott, if you make the hit, you can block him. I'm getting a first down. Am I getting it?
1: Uh, You, no. No. Because <laughs> the safety will close in on you and hit you for a two-yard gain. Those okay. guys, the, those guys are thinking, think about those guys. Like, you know, I had the, I had the pleasure, Giants fans, none too proud of me or happy with me. I had the pleasure of watching Jamal Adams, um, sorry, uh, for the Seahawks.
0: We
1: get it. And, I'm, I am, like, you want to talk about a dude that can be 12 yards, his heels at 12, and come up and smack you in the mouth with a one-yard gain. Like, he's, a, he's phenomenal around the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, here's the funny thing. You know, Jets fans will be like, oh, he sucks now. He's not great coverage. And, you know, he'll miss some things in coverage occasionally. But let me, t- let me tell you what. That son of a bitch is a football player Jesse now. He, he flies around the line of scrimmage, and he just tries to murder people. I love watching him play.
0: You know, what's crazy about Jamal is when we, well, you know, we understand Jamal is a terrific player and obviously an all pro with the Jets, but when Jamal first came up, we said, if we had 11 Jamal Adams on defense, we'd be the happiest people in the world. He's out signing autographs, you know, Uh, doing the right thing. And then he just 180 complete 180. And I think, I really think there's a lot of times in football where, you know, the fans are just wrong and being stupid and the team is, you know, you know, being cheap or whatever. I think Jamal's really in the wrong this time, tweeting every five seconds about going to Dallas and being an asshole. He was really, you know, right. and Matt and I are very optimistic fans. When Jamal left, we said, fuck this guy. Good riddance. Yeah, no, I
1: I yeah. understand. I understand I've got a lot, of, a lot of my buddies back in my ESPN days are Jets fans. So, uh, of course, you know me. Um, I'm, tw- I'm texting them all the time, you know, just getting under their skin about it. But, you know, here's, here's the thing that's interesting. If you go back to the way the collective bargaining agreement got put together, this, this is one of the craziest things in the world. So we allowed and, – and I was so against a bunch of the things we did from a collective bargaining agreement standpoint. So, I mean, I was trying to advise the Players Association against rookie contracts. I was you – know, I, I just – so think about this. One, we as veteran players – are negotiating for guys who haven't come in the league yet, that don't have a voice, right? So who's going to get screwed? Well, the guys who don't have a voice who are coming in the league, right? So we negotiate this deal. These rookies completely get bent over. Like you get drafted in the first round. You're the property of the organization for five years. I remember started- Sam
0: Bradford's contract. It used to be crazy the, the rookie deals.
1: Right. It was, yeah. it was insane. And my point was this to the league. I used to hang out at this bar when I was in Alaska, when I was coming up in Alaska, you know, and home for college at home during summer break and stuff. Uh, And the bar is called Choku Charlie's. You can look it up. And their motto was where we cheat the other guy and pass the savings on to you. And I go, if you think these greedy bastard owners are going to save a bunch of money on rookies and pass it on to the middling veterans, you guys are high. So it's created this class structure in the league where there are the, I call it the 80-20 rule. 20% of the guys make 80% of the money. And, the, and everybody else is, you know, it's like the movie Braveheart. Everybody else is fighting for uh, scraps off of a shank, long shank's table, right? Everybody else is fighting for the, what's left over the pie, the 20% that's left over the pie. And what has happened, and this is interesting, what has happened is it's, it's lent itself to shitty football. Because there's a hundred percent certainty that you will get hurt if you play this game. And so what teams have had to do is they pay their quarterback a bazillion dollars, they pay their left tackle a bazillion, they play receivers, which I still don't understand, eighteen million dollars a year. That's baffling to me that a receiver gets paid. Right. I mean they're the most oh, dependent $10. position. Right. They're the most yeah. they're the most uh, dependent position on a football field. Like I don't understand that. They pay, you know, now they're paying you know, guards, and, and, but they're paying about eight players. They're playing their cornerstone, their corner, their wide receiver, their left tackle, their quarterback. Maybe a and, pass uh, Right, and, and a pass rusher, right? And so these guys make 80% of the money, and then what they end up doing is they end up scrimping. So all your backup offensive linemen are rookies, and you got a bunch of rookies that are backups all over the place. And then you get three starters hurt, and you go from a potential playoff type of team – to, to sucking, because you don't have good quality veteran players that know what they're doing. That when I came in the league, man, and, and I was playing for Washington, we had like we had a group of starters, a group of guys that were veteran players, but all our backups were were six, seven, eight years had started for three years somewhere else. They were everybody. We kept a few rookies, um, but the bottom line is anybody that might have to go in and play had starting experience had started somewhere else for a long time and the league is now a group of haves and a group of have-nots and and that's the way the league is constructed so like i don't blame a guy like jamal anderson when you when you out or jamal adams excuse me when you outperform your contract it's because it, it's interesting every year there's a veteran that gets signed to a four-year deal, right? And then all of a sudden, they decide, ah, we're going to get rid of this guy. So they cut him, and they don't owe him anything. They have outs, and, you know, and, and everybody's fine with that, right? But when the guy outperforms his contract and says, no, you're going to pay me, everybody goes, all the fans are, he needs to honor his contract. Fuck you. <laughs> he doesn't need to honor his contract. He outperformed his contract. If he underperformed, your ass would cut him. Yeah. So for Jamal... I'm just like, if I outperformed it, I'm not going to play five years under this contract. I want a new deal. And I don't, I I will never, I will never blame a player who outperforms a contract he signs that is great, that, that, you know, hits the the mountaintop, so to speak, saying, nope, you're going to pay me. Because if I didn't outperform it, you'd cut my ass. Because that's how the league works. So I don't have a problem with it. Yeah,
0: Jamal, he would have gotten the contract if he wasn't an asshole, is what we think.
1: We (laughs) wanted
2: to extend him, and we agree with you that the coverage stuff is a little overblown. He missed games past year, and he broke the defensive back sack record. So he's an unbelievable player, Uh and we wanted to keep him. We loved him until, obviously, a little social media drama. However it happens, all good. One final question for you. Yeah. I don't know how your arm is, right? But what if you were the quarterback of a team? That had huh. the best O line, best running back, best receivers, the best defense at every position. The entire roster is the best of the best. But you're the quarterback for 16 games. What is your record, and do you win a Super Bowl? Um, if I'm the quarterback, we're in trouble. Um, Remember, you can I mean, hand off. You got the best O line. You everybody, every your defense oh, yeah. is the best of the best. Your defense is everyone, the top player at every position.
1: Yeah, it it, it doesn't matter because like. As, as currently constructed, I can't throw more than 20 yards. Okay. <laughs> my, my shoulder, my shoulders, my body is, is broken. But I, w- I will say this. I think this is, is something that you always have to think about. One of the reasons I really like Zach Wilson is I don't buy into that small school, you know, didn't play well against big competition bullshit. It's
0: been proven to, you know, there's guys that are – that
1: do well the bottom line is you're surrounded with lesser talent than you are and and my big thing is you watch Trevor Lawrence how many times you see him throw a ball to a guy that's 15 yards with nobody around him I mean so I always get I always all that stuff is a little bit of, of garbage to me but here's the deal um at any position it has nothing to do Well, it has less to do with your physical ability. Physical ability is the easiest thing in the world to see. Anybody can see physical talent. They can see guys that can jump and run fast and do all that shit, right? That's not football. If you're building a track team, I'm with you 100%, right? Um, it, It really has to do with your ability to make decisions from the neck up at every position. How fast does your mental processor run? And so when you take information in your eyeballs and you see what's in front of you, you, know, you think about just playing offensive line, for instance, you go from, you know, you go from an over to an under front. And so you change from a three technique to a bubble look, right? And it changes in a like, split second in the midst of the quarterback running his cadence, blue 80, blue 80, said. up. As soon as they shift, as soon as they move, as soon as the, uh, the, the backers boss over and the weak safety comes down, it changes your assignment right now. And so if you want to get into, like, the, the understanding of football in general, man, it changes in an instant. And if you can't process that information in a split second and know who to block and, and dispense justice while you're blocking that guy – you're hitting a quarterback or you're giving up a hit on a quarterback. that's a hundred million dollar asset and you no longer play. And the same thing is true with a quarterback. If you can't process it quickly, if you're late with the ball, everybody talks about accuracy. Accuracy comes from understanding of what you're doing, processing information, making the right decision, and making it quickly. That's where accuracy comes from. So you're not breaking down mechanically. And then you start talking about like the jets, what the jets are going to do. So for me, for instance, The Jets, Mike LaFleur comes over as the offense coordinator with Robert Salt. Mm So, what are you going to run? Well, you're going to run the West Coast offense, but can you run a true version of the West Coast offense? Do you have a fullback? Do you have a true Y tight end? Do you have a true F tight end? One of the beautiful things about the offense that you're going to run is your F becomes the adjuster in motion. So, your F out of 11 personnel can be the slot receiver. Your F out of 12 personnel is the backside tight end. Your F out of base personnel. Is your fullback, do you have a fullback that can line up outside the numbers and run a a receiver route tree? Can he run back in? Is your backup tight end? Can he do that? All the shifts and the motions that come with that. All the things that you have to know when you're developing an offense. Do you have that? If you don't have that, guess what? Now we've got to run that same system, but we have to do it with limited personnel or limited personnel packages. And now we have to change what we're doing. So it becomes far more complicated than anybody... it's, it's incredibly complicated, and in its simplicity, it's beautiful. And so there's this juxtaposition there that if you don't know what you're doing and you can't understand all those things. So as a quarterback, when you sit there and you say, okay, we're going to get in trips right nasty, H right outside, we're going to run – X branch Buffalo, and you have to say I got to be able to tag. Hey, the H back is going to motion outside the numbers. He's running a go. The X receiver in that particular thing is going to run the uh, the branch route, which is about an eight yard stick route. Tight end is going to run the through route. He's my number one progression. The F receiver, which is eleven personnel, that F receiver is going to be my slot receiver. But in twelve personnel, that F receiver is going to be my tight end, my backup tight end. He's running the pick curl, and now the Z receiver is coming down to run on the now route. And I, I, I'm going from one to two is the now route right so i've got a three-man triangle there one two three but if we get to uh into a different defense i want to get back to the x like you got to know all that stuff be able to tag all that stuff tell all those people that stuff and now you snap the ball you got to go now and it's a it's incredibly complicated and it has to be done so quickly. And it's easy to do on a grease board. And it's easy to do when you're studying film. But let me tell you something. When you get on the football field, it almost never looks like it does when you're <laughs> sitting there watching film or on a grease board. So it's a different animal.
2: I think and- you would go eight and eight. I think you would go eight. eight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, my biggest takeaway is that we got to fuck the Kyle Juszczyk re with the Niners. That kills
1: us. <laughs> hey, man, that guy, that guy is an incredible player. Um, incredibly versatile. And so now, like, one of the things about that it, that's really cool is when you have that depth and that quality of personnel, now we can get into 12, and in 12, which is two tight ends, one back. Now, if we've got a, an adjuster at that backup tight end, that F, at that F position to tight Pretty end. Pretty fun
0: Wesco, baby.
1: Right. Well, that can play fullback. So now, so now we can play 12 but we can play it out of a two-back instead of a, a two-tight end. And so now what ends up happening is you end up, you end up just completely messing with defense coordinators. You give them a personnel package, you go, okay, now what? Yeah. How are you going to play us? Are you going to play us in heavy? Are you going to play us in nickel? Because if you play us in heavy, we're going sp- to explode out of it. Oh, that's and we're going to get you. We're going to get you in a one-on-one matchup that you, cannot, you can't deal with. And you're going to play us in 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 little people. We're going to condense formation. We're going to run down your throat. So that's, you make the decision.
0: That's what the Patriots did to us for so many years. They killed us with that. And then, ironically, Aaron Hernandez killed other people. That's
1: <laughs> that. That is you know but what they are so too, good at too that. Too soon, they, but that's they, a true statement.
0: <laughs> they they were so good at that. They you know and and sometimes the Jets, like Matt and I talk about this all the time on the on our pod. The Jets over the last ten or so years, even though we've been you know a poor franchise, have probably a top three rush defense over the course of the decade. And the Patriots would say, fuck you and just spread us out and throw 58 times and run the ball six times. And then, you know, in years when we didn't have such a great run defense, they say, okay, fuck you again. We'll line up in our 12 personnel and run it down your throat. And it's, it's, it's just a masterful, you know, to watch, but not fun for us.
1: (laughs) No. And and it, and it comes down to this really, you know, it comes down to, um, what is your identity, and, and what players do you have? It really, it really is pick an identity, stick with an identity, make sure your players understand how to execute what you want to do. But more than anything, man, it comes down to having really smart players that are pros, that are professionals, that want to study, that, that want to be great. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing between – and listen, man, I'm pointing at my, own, my franchises that, that I play for right now. The difference between really good teams and shitty teams. Well, most of the shitty teams think they're working hard. Most of the shitty teams think they're studying. Most of the shitty teams think they're doing what it takes. Because they don't know. They don't know what it takes. And so they can't understand why every time they line up against the Patriots, they're getting their ass whipped. They don't understand it. And and so I just it, – it really is the, the great organizations, one, have great players that create the culture, that, that have a standard. Um, and, and, you know, here's the thing. Culture has to be worked on every single day. It has to be adhered to every day. And it starts from ownership and it trickles down, but – uh, I like, I like to do, I like the landscape. I, you know, I, I constantly am, got a landscaping project going on and landscaping or, or culture is a lot like irrigation. Um, have you ever seen a beautiful green lawn and there's one spot in it that, that is, I would call it hydrophobic, like it's afraid of water, right? It's one spot that's yellow and it's the one spot that's raised a little bit right and the water either drains off it or runs around or it trickles around it and that lawn that spot of your lawn dies out i call it hydrophobic and culture is a lot like that right culture will find its easiest path the path of least resistance so if you have a high spot in your lawn it's going to yellow out and culture is very much the same way culture is going to go the easy route what's the easiest way to get where do I have to – like, and it just follows, and especially in a team environment. And here's the issue when you have a team. You can have 40 guys, 45 guys that are real pros. It only takes a couple of ass wipes to ruin it. And I don't – And I guess it's because <laughs> of the way culture works. Yep. Culture follows the path of least resistance. So those ass wipes have a, a stronger gravitational pull – than all the good guys in your locker room. And so it's really, uh, listen, man, it's easy to give you theories on what it's going to take to fix your culture. Like it's easy to give you some theories. That's easy. In practicum, it's really hard. It's the hardest thing any coach will have to do is change the culture of an organization. Hell, man, I hate the Raiders with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. They've been trying to change that shitty culture for 30 years. Yeah. And I hope they never figure it out. <laughs> actually, I, I, actually, I don't because the, the league's a better place when the Raiders are relevant. But the yeah. bottom line is, like, how many coaches have they gone through? How many different, you know, general managers? How many, like, yeah. John Gruden's going to fix it. Every, yeah, everybody's going to come and fix it. It's hard to fix.
2: they led the league in penalties like nine straight years or nine out of 11. It's impossible sure to happen. do that. Sure I don't sure know happen. how you can have that happen. Yeah. But.
0: Look like the Jets did draft they drafted four guys who were uh Captain. team captains last year they're trying but Yeah. Mark, yeah. No, yeah, please.
1: absolutely. You know, I appreciate.
0: We appreciate having you on Mark. It was a, it was a ton of fun this discussion. Um we you know we we were trying to figure out again like really literally were you trolling or what was going on but we remember we were watching the uh we saw you on part of my take a couple years ago. We saw uh-huh. you piss your pants live. Like we've seen a bunch of your stuff. We thought you you get it and it's glad it's good that you do and we're Obviously, you know, I'm very happy to have you on. Oh,
1: yeah, I, I, I will tell you this: Giants fans are really hurt right now because I had this feud going on with Giants fans uh, all last season, and now Jets fans have taken over as the uh, as the group of of folks that you know that I poke fun at more. So, Giants fans are a little hurt right now. I might have to get back after the Giants. So, hey,
2: we played Denver on the road. If they were home. You know, we have season tickets. You'd be more than welcome to
1: come and enjoy a game if you want to come out to New York, I, Well, I will be doing. I will be doing a game somewhere. I don't know point. which game I will have. I might. Be, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll be doing that game. Matt keeps um,
0: offering. He keeps offering my. He offered my season tickets to uh, OJ Simpson for Jets Bills.
2: <laughs> he hasn't responded yet, but I'm waiting. <laughs> he just gives
1: you tickets away
0: off my fucking tickets, right?
1: All right, Mark, well. Wait. All right, you guys you guys are awesome man. I appreciate I appreciate coming on and um and I'll just keep throwing some shit at Jets fans every now and again just to keep them on their toes, okay? Yeah.